within marriages right now in Jesus' name. I declare that right now in Jesus' name. Frustration in the home to cease right now in Jesus' name. Anger in the home right now to cease in Jesus' name. And the Prince of Peace to begin to show up in relationships. I declare that right now in Jesus' name. In relationships with our, our children, relationships with our spouses, with our parents. God, that you're moving right now. You're moving right now. Father, I bless you. I bless you. I speak life. I speak life. For you are worthy. You are worthy. You are the author of life. Not only you can give and only you can take away. So, Father, we bless you in this place. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming today. Thank you for being with us here. God, we honor you. We reverence you. God, I pray you speak to us today, Lord, as we as we prepare our ears and our hearts to receive your word. God, I pray that it would penetrate us deep. God, that it would challenge us. Lord, that it would change us. That it would transform us. God, I pray for every distraction to be eliminated right now in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for coming. Thank you for being our guest, being the guest of honor. We make room for you, for you to come in. We make room for you to show up. We make room for you, God. Lord, we love you. Good to see you. Happy Merry Christmas. Everybody doing well? Yeah. You got all your shopping done? No. If not, you better get out and do what you got to do. You got to email it. You got to transport it, teleport it, whatever you got to do, get it there. It is so good to see you. I want to thank all these musicians and worship team. Can we give them a hand? They did a great job. Sound guys, they have one of the hardest uh, jobs in this uh, building. We appreciate uh, them. I just want to let you know it took me about 10 years to teach my daughter how to sing like that. And a few more years, she'll be able to sing as good as me, I guess. We want to welcome you. We have some very special people in the building today, online and in the building. First time guests, can we give them a bridge to welcome today? Thank you for being with us. It is so good to have you. If you'll just, in front of you, in that seat back pocket is a communication card. If you'll be so kind to let us know you're here. Give us as much information as you deem necessary. And if you'll take that out to our guest registration table and give that to them, you'll get a free t-shirt, a free book, and we'll send you a Chick-fil-A gift card in the mail just for being our guest. Today we continue the series, Return to Christmas. I want you to take out your Bibles, whether it's on your smart device or traditional book Bible, you can take that out. Turn to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read that. Don't forget of all the upcoming events here at Bridge Church, uh, especially Christmas Eve, 2 o'clock and 3.30 right here at our Virginia Beach campus, same over at Greenbrier as well. We'll have one service down in North Carolina. We want you to invite your family, your friends, your frenemies, 
and uh, everyone you know, bring them on Christmas Eve. We want to see this house full, and we want to preach the gospel. It's going to be a great, great Christmas Eve service here at Bridge. Don't show up next Sunday. We won't be here. We'll be online, so if you want to catch us, you'll have to catch us online. I know it's Jesus' birthday, but I think Jesus wouldn't mind us missing a Sunday and giving all our volunteers a break. Let's give our volunteers a big God bless. Come on. They do a wonderful, wonderful job. Luke chapter 2 will begin at verse 8. And we're going to read several verses today just because I just believe that when we come to church, we need to hear the Bible read. Because the Bible, whether I preach or not, is still powerful. My preaching doesn't make the Bible powerful. The, po the power is in the Word of God. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is living, active, energizing, effective, operative, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit, able to judge the thoughts and intents or intentions of the heart. Meaning this, the Word of God in the Word of God is innate power to change your life. If I came in here just for 45 minutes and did nothing but read the Word of God, it would begin to change our lives. That's how powerful the Word of God is. Verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. You've got to understand this. Shepherds were not the, uh, the top of the class of society back in those days. They were the underbelly of society. They were scoundrels. They were looked down upon. Look here, they were tending their sheep nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Look here, an angel of the Lord appears to them. Notice who God goes to. He, he doesn't go to the ivory palaces. He goes to the sides, hillsides of Galilee, and he appears in angel form to shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I mean, you know, when you see an angel, especially in the Bible, now I know there are a lot of people in our day that say they see angels, but I don't see any fear or terror on them when they contact angels. But in the Bible, when people saw angels, guess what happened? They were terrified. You read the gospel account. You read the Old Testament. These people, when they saw angels, they would get on their face, man. They would bow down. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. I want you to underline that. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Who? All people. Today in the town of David, the town of David is Bethlehem. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Now, this cloth was not a baby blanket. It was actually torn cloths that were used to actually wrap around newborn sheep. And they use those cloths. And it's, it's almost signifying who Jesus was. He was the Lamb of God. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared to the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's rock it. Let's get out of here and see the thing that had happened has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. 
How many of you know Christmas can be a difficult season when you're shopping in and out of stores looking for the right gift and trying to find the perfect gift for that loved one, that family member, that child? It can be a tough time. But when I remember when my kids were very small, the, the toughest part of Christmas was wrapping the gifts. Amen. And I am not a great gift wrapper. If you saw my gifts, I used a lot of tape. And it often looked like the thing I was giving away. I would, you know, if it was a bike, I'd wrap it, it would look like a bike, you know, whatever it was. And I would use a lot of tape, and it would take forever for my kids to, hmm, hmm. I'd use almost like duct tape, you know, duct tape around the gifts. You know, I was to the point one Christmas, why don't we put all their gifts in separate piles and just put a sheet over the top? Any men in the house like that? Yeah, we, let's just put a sheet over and then we can go one, two, three, four, and they can, number one, they can pick and they can just take their sheet off and see all their toys and stuff at one time. But my wife was not having it. She wants to go around the room very methodically, very organized to catch every. And my kids, man, it, the first several years, it was crazy. But now they know mom's going to do it that way. And they're going to have to wait their turn to see what's in each present. So that was a crazy thing. But today, wrapped up in the Christmas story, is the gift of joy. The gift of joy. And that's what we want to talk about today, rediscovering joy. And I know Christmas time is not joy for everyone, and we've lost people, loved ones, we're going through a difficult time, family situations, broken relationships, the loss of a job maybe, and, and Christmas for many people is not a season of joy. But when you look at the first Christmas, you begin to discover that there were songs during the first Christmas. There was the song of Zechariah in chapter 1 of Luke. There was a song of Mary also in chapter 1. What's your favorite song? What's your favorite Christmas carol that was asked to us this week by Pastor Scott in our, in our staff meeting? What's your favorite Christmas carol? Who's your favorite Christmas singer? What kind of music do you like? What kind of songs do you like? I mean, you know, if I'm trying to set the mood of romance with my wife. I don't play praise and worship music. I don't play hill songs. I don't play Bethel. I'm just not going there. I'll break out some Celine. I'll break out some Kenny G. Why? Because, because, yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, 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 yes, sir. I'm not going to break out no worship because I'm not trying to worship. I'm trying to kiss. Amen. I'm trying to kiss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people ask me, you must love kids. You got four. No, I love their mama. <laughs> love their real good too, bro. Real good. How did we get on that? There's the people online that drove me that way. But music sets a mood. Music has the ability to take you back to a location. Some of you can be riding down the car and you hear the Bee Gees from the 70s. 
Staying alive, staying alive. Guess what? It takes you back in the 70s. Big collars, big hair, bell bottoms, shoes, disco clubs. Why? Because music moves you. It can move you from one point to another. And in the Bible, it's full of songs. The first song is found in Genesis chapter uh, number 15. It's the, it's the song of Moses. And, and then it's also the last song is in Revelation chapter 15. It's the song of the Lamb. And throughout the Bible, we see many many songs. What kind of songs do you like? In the Bible, there are 185 songs. I believe God likes songs. He likes singing. There are 150 songs in the book of Psalms. Some of those songs are joyful and exciting, and some of those songs uh, sounds like, man, this guy's about to take his life. He's depressed. He's lamenting. He's, he's going crazy. He's in a tough situation. And I found this to be true, that in my life, in those down seasons, in those valley seasons, God gives me a song. Have you ever been there? That, that, that just this one song, man, you cannot stop playing it. Why? Because God gives you a song in the night. It's called night songs. And when you're going through difficult situations, God will get you a song. And he wants you to get it down in your spirit. And sometimes God will give me a song. And I'll just keep playing it all around our house. Put it on repeat. My wife's going nuts. And my kids are there. Why do you keep playing that song? This song is delivering me. God is giving me a song of deliverance. This song is encouraging me. It is strengthening me. Some songs are foundational. Yes. Yes. Amazing Grace, that song never gets that style. Right. Amazing Grace How sweet Some of y'all went back to the old chapel. Didn't you? That saved a wretch like me I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I mean, that song don't get old. That's a foundation. That's a foundational hymn of the faith. Now, there are some, some songs that are foundational. But there are some songs that are seasonal. You ever notice how fast songs get old? And you wear it out for six weeks and then, man, you won't listen to it for another 30 years. Why? Because that was not a foundational song. <laughs> that was a seasonal song. That was, that was for the season that you were in. One hundred and seventy. Eight songs in, or 85 songs in the Bible, and 150 in Psalms. The longest song in the Bible is 1,732 words. Who wants to hear that song? It might take us a good half hour to hear all that. And you got to have a great singer to listen to a song that long. And so these songs have the ability to move you. And in this 
Christmas season, we understand in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, written by Luke, who was a physician, who was a very detailed person. He gave us a precise and concise uh, understanding of the meaning of Christmas and the times that surrounded the birth of Jesus. He was very detailed-oriented. Most men are not detailed-oriented. You ask a man how his day has gone, he says, okay. Sometimes I'll come home. My wife says, how was your day? I'll say, good. And she'll be waiting. What you mean? It was good. It was just a good day. Oh, give me some details. How many of you know the reason I can't give details is because I've already spoken 10,000 of my words, and that's all I have. <laughs> I mean, women have like twenty to 30,000 words a day, and a man, 10,000, he's mentally, emotionally, physically exhausted. And when he comes home, he needs a lazy boy. Because it will take him 30 minutes to recharge and to refrag and to reboot his physical body. But you give him 30 minutes and that lazy boy, after that, he is ready to go. Why? Because men need breaks. Women just keep going on, no, 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 no. You think about that. And so Luke was detailed, very detailed. And he begins to put these songs in the Christmas story. Look here, the angels sang, the shepherds sang, Zachariah sang. Zachariah was the father of John the Baptist in chapter 1 of Luke. And Mary sang a song also. But when you begin to contrast these two songs, the song of Zechariah and the song of Mary, you begin to understand this, that, that Zechariah sang after John the Baptist was born. Mary sang before Jesus was born. Which took more faith? Zechariah's mouth was sealed shut because he doubted the promise of God. Mary's mouth was open wide because she received the promise of God. Even though she didn't see it at the moment when the angel came and said, Mary, you're highly favored. The Lord is with you. You are blessed. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call his name Jesus. She did not deny it. She just said, how will this be since I am a virgin? I've never been with a man. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And the thing that is conceived in you is of the Holy Spirit. Notice what she said. She said, be it unto me according to your word. She came into an agreement with God. God had a promise. God had a plan for her. She did not deny it. She received it, the promise. She said, be it unto me according to your word. She said, for nothing is impossible with God. How I many you know that's an impossibility to us? A virgin that conceives without a man? Seems impossible. But she said, for nothing is impossible with God. That literally, verse 37 of chapter number one, means this, for no word of God shall be powerless. You think about that. When God gives you a word, you don't have to try to make it happen. 
All you have to do is receive it. Because in that word that God gives you is the power to bring it into being. God just needed a vessel. He needed Mary. He needed Mary's agreement in the earth. Why? Because God has forever tied himself to human cooperation for his divine execution in the earth. His will has to come into the earth through people. So for us, we need to all be like Mary and say, be it unto me according to your word. Lord, what do you want to do through me? What, what do you want to accomplish through me? What's your plan that you want to exercise in my family through me this Christmas? I am a willing servant. Be it unto me according to your will. See, Zechariah, he, he sang after the promise, but Mary sang before the promise. Look at Mary's song. She said this in chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices, look here, in God my Savior. Notice here. She is carrying the promise that's going to save her life. Can I tell you this? The promise that God's given you, not only will it help other people, but it will help you. She was carrying the Savior of the world, and she, she called Jesus. She called the baby. She said, my Savior. Can you, can you understand the depth of that? Not only was the baby that she was carrying the Savior of the world, Mary came to the conclusion, this, this, this baby... This Lamb of God, this prophetic promise that God's given me, it's just not for all ethnicities. It's just not for all people. He's my Savior. He's my Savior. She, she embraced her own salvation when she said, Be it unto me according to thy word. Could it be some of the things that we need saving from, we're not getting saved from because we haven't embraced the promise that God has for us? Have we ever recognized this in the story? If Mary would have rejected that, she was rejecting her own salvation. Her own cure for her sin. Now I know the Catholic Church believes that Mary was sinless after conception. But she wasn't. She was born just like all of us. We were born in sin and she needed a savior she said, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That word rejoice is the verb tense of joy. She was full, filled with joy and she rejoiced. For he has been mindful of, humble, of the humble state of his servant. For all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Verse 50, his mercy extends to all who fear him. You need mercy? Revere God. Fear him, reverence him, be in awe of him. That would go from generation to generation. Rediscovering joy. Now in this passage, who was the object of Mary's joy? Was it Joseph? What was the object of her joy? Was it a new donkey, Tesla? Was it a new home, five bedroom, four and a half bath, overlooking the Atlantic Ocean? 
Was it a big bank account? Was that the object of her joy? No. She says, I rejoice in God, the God of my salvation. Her object of joy was not in the things that she possessed. It was in God. God had become the object of her joy. Can I tell you today, the object of our joy should not be things. It should not be money. It should not be relationships. It should be God. The reason the object of our joy should be God, because God is unchanging. And because he's unchanging, this joy that he's given us becomes constant. The world didn't give it to us, and the world can't take it away. Joy doesn't come from other people. It comes from God. That's the foundation of my faith. Joy is a gift from God. It's actually a fruit of the Spirit, according to Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. Yeah, open book test. Joy. Joy. <laughs> How many of you liked open book tests growing up? Some of them were hard, but I loved them. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, meekness or gentleness, meekness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And so joy becomes this thing that's connected and, and developed in me by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will bear much fruit. He didn't say you would become fruity. He just said you would bear much fruit. He said, you're going to bear much fruit. So if my life is going to bear fruit, it has to be connected to the object of my joy, the object of my fruit, and that's Jesus. I have to stay connected to Jesus, and as long as I'm connected to Jesus, he is the vine, I am the branch, whatever's in the vine gets to me. If there's joy in Jesus, I get joy. If there's peace in Jesus, I get peace. If there's hope in Jesus, I get hope. If there's salvation in Jesus, I get salvation. Whatever's in Jesus should come to me. As as long as I'm abiding in the vine. As long as I'm abiding in the vine. Joy. Do you have joy? I know life can be tough. But do you have joy? Joyful people sing. How I many you know when you come to church, you don't come to church to watch people sing. You come to church to sing. Be able to, to sing to God. Why? Because you have joy. Not just to sing when things are going well, but to sing when things are not going so well. Because God wants to give you a song in the night. Last January, this past January, I got COVID. And I went into the hospital for two days. And uh, one thing I did while I was in there God just gave me some, some music to listen to. I believe God specifically gives you songs to listen to to help you through any valley that you're going through. And so I turned on my playlist to this certain uh, singer, and I just turned it on, and for the next 48 hours, he was singing in my room. 
Why? Because I believe God gives us songs in the night that pull us up out of our despair, that pull us up out of our sickness. So every time the doctor would come in, these songs would be playing. Every time the nurses would come in, these songs would be playing. And, and it would stir my soul and it would build my faith. Was I fearful? No, because I know God. I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able. Paul said, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Meaning this, God is sovereign and he holds the days of my life in his hands. Right. Old Testament writers said, teach us to number our days. I mean, life is sacred and life is short. Even if you live to 140 in light of eternity, it's short. I want to live to over 100. But that still will be short compared to eternity. So what is joy? Well, in order to discover what joy is, we've got to discover what it's not. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 says this, Be joyful always. When should we be joyful? Always. Always. The New King James Version says it this way, Rejoice always. To rejoice, to, to stir up that joy, to be joyful. Put on display the joy that God's given you. Passion Translation says it this way. Let joy be your continual feast. Feast. You know there are things that are trying to rob us of joy. You can call them joy thieves. Circumstances of life. People at work. The news, the media, circumstances, the violence in our nation, the turmoil in our families. These are joy thieves that try to rob us. Even our own thinking tries to rob us of joy. But Paul said, be joyful always. Make it a continual feast of your life. How many of you like eating? Anybody ready for eat, eat Christmas? I'm, I'm ready to eat, man. Cakes and all that kind of stuff. Paul says, joy needs to be your feast. So what joy is not? What is, if you're going to understand what joy is, you've got to understand what it's not. Number one, it's not just an emotion. It's not just some reaction to a stimulation that we have. It's not an emotion. It's not a, a feeling at its foundation. Now, joy might create ecstasy and it might create laughter. It might create uh, endorphins in your brain. It might create a feeling, but at its foundation, it is not a feeling. It's more than a feeling. Joy is a gift. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's something foundational that, that comes from God. It's, it's in us. Why is it in us? Because we're people of God. We're filled with what? The Holy Spirit. Jesus promised when he would go away that he would send the comforter. He would send someone just like us. He would send the Holy Spirit. Not only would he be with us, but he would be in us. Did you know already in you in seed form, if you're a believer, in seed form, there's already peace in you. There's already joy in you. There's already love in you. 
There's already patience in you. I know you can't believe that. There's already patience in you. There's already goodness in you. There's already gentleness in you. There's already self-control in you. So what has to happen? That has to be cultivated by an ongoing relationship with Jesus. The more I submit to Jesus, the more his fruit grows in my life. I have a choice for that. See, joy is not happiness, number two. It's not happiness. Is anybody happy when you got up this morning? You are happy. You smell the coffee. Did you get happy? I got happy when I saw the Tar Heels win last night. They came back. Unbelievable. They came back. I got happy. But how many of you know joy is not happiness? Happiness is circumstantial. Happiness is dependent upon what's happening around me. Joy is dependent upon what's happening in me. Happiness is external. Joy is internal. Meaning, if happiness can come and go, it, it almost changes uh, to a degree like the wind. Is God against happiness? No, I believe he wants us to be happy. He wants us to be glad. He want, You know, the Bible doesn't say, I, I was sad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. It says, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. So there is some gladness and happiness that God wants us to have. In fact, when you read Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, it says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the path of the sinner, or sit in the seat of the scoffer. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not Wither. How many of you know God wants you to bear fruit in your season? He says, how blessed is the man. That word blessed can be translated happy. Happy. How happy is the man? So God's not against happiness. I believe he loves for his children to laugh. But we must understand that happiness can come and go. It's dependent upon, you know, me getting a, a check in the mail. I, I become happy. If, if somebody does something great in my life, I get happy. If my kids excel in school, I get happy. But all that can change. It's circumstantial. Things can, things can go bad. How I many you know things can go south real quick? Yeah. It doesn't take but one phone call for your life to be upended. So it's got to be more than happiness. It's not happiness. Joy is this deep-seated thing that God gives me. It's a fruit. It's by His Spirit. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Philippians 4.4. Did you know Philippians was written by Paul when he was in jail? He's looking on the, at the people on the outside. He's writing not for jailbirds. He's writing for the people on the outside. He's writing to the church at Philippi. And from a jail cell, he says, rejoice. Rejoice. I mean, you know, Paul's circumstances didn't dictate joy. Paul had this deep-seated relationship with God that in prison... He knew how to rejoice. 
In night seasons, he knew how to rejoice. This wasn't the first time he had been in prison. He had been beaten. He had been flogged. He had been shipwrecked. He had been stoned. Do you understand that Paul should have died when he was stoned? Some commentators believe that God resurrected him. Did you know stoning wasn't like you put him in the middle and everybody starts throwing rocks. You get, get in a circle and start throwing rocks. They didn't do it that way. I mean, you know, if you put a person in the middle and you start throwing rocks, somebody on the other side is probably going to get hit too. They were not that dumb. They threw, they threw Paul in a pit and they threw down on him. When somebody's throwing rocks down on you, what's the first thing that you do? Can you imagine Paul's hands at this time having to write letters? His hands were so deformed from the beating that he took by being stoned. We, you see, we picture Paul as this scholarly man sitting at Harvard University in a room writing letters. That's not what he was. Paul had been whipped. He had been shipwrecked. He had been stoned, raised back to life. And he writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. How I many of uh, the first stone will cause you to lose your happiness? <laughs> you get, one, get my drink? But those stones and those floggings and that shipwreck and darkness and, and, and dreary days didn't rob Paul of his joy. See, Paul had already been in prison. He was there with his buddy Silas in Acts 16. The Bible says about midnight he began to, to pray and to sing songs of praise. I believe there's some folk in here that need to learn to sing at midnight. Say, Pastor, I'll sing a little louder when things get better. It might be your song that brings you out of your problem. Bible calls them songs of deliverance. God doesn't give us songs of deliverance for his deliverance. He gives us songs of deliverance for our deliverance. So in my worship, it's more than just singing a great melodic tune. My worship to God is actually a pathway. It creates a road for my deliverance. So it's, it's more than happiness. See, life can be like a vacuum. It can suck the life out of you, man. It can just suck the life out of you. It's like, it's like a vacuum. It just, you ever feel that sucking noise? It's it, like things are being sucked out of you. See, happiness is smiling when, you know, the sun's out. But joy is dancing in, in the downpour. I love a bright, sunny spring day at about 75, 80 degrees. My least favorite time is winter. I don't like winter. Because that's when everything dead. There's no growth. The ground is soggy. 
trees look barren. There's no fruit. There's no flowers. You know, really even no birds singing. There's an occasional bird that will strike up a tune. But birds know that winter doesn't last forever. Right before spring emerges, you'll start hearing these birds and it'd be dark outside, but it'd be morning out. They'll be whistling, singing. I mean, you know, they don't sing after the season arrives. They sing before it arrives. sing because they have a song. See, joy is not optional either. Say, I'll be joyful one day. No, for the believer, it's not an option. It's a command. And you might go to the Toyota dealership and and you might get a a Toyota Tundra, guys, and, 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 and you might black it out. You might get it all leather, four by four. You might daddy it. You get the options. Anybody want one? You get to determine which options you put on your truck. The more options, the more it costs you. You want a cheap truck? Don't put any options on it. Just give it a motor and a bed. But in the kingdom, joy is not an option. It's a command. Paul said, be joyful. Make it a continual feast in your life. Don't wait till life gets better to be joyful. Don't wait till your children act right to be joyful. Don't wait till you get the right gift under the tree to be joyful. Don't wait till that person says, I'm sorry, to be joyful. Why? Because you will sit around allowing circumstances to rob you of the very thing that God wants to give you to get you through your circumstance. Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm not going to put my joy in the hands of somebody else. Why? Because joy is a choice. Did you know I can choose to be joyful? You can choose to be joyful. Joy is a powerful thing. It adds strength to life. Joy is much more than an emotion, much more than happiness, much more than just optional. One Christian writer says, we don't get joy by seeking a better emotional life because joy is not an emotion. It is a settled certainty that God is in control. I'm not placing my joy in the hands of politicians. I don't care who's in the White House. I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to be joyful because I know the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. That God raises up and he takes down. God is in control. He's laughing at the leaders in this world. He just sits back and he just, he marvels at him and says, wow, you really think you're in control. You're just one breath away from dying. I hold your life in my hands. God doesn't get heartburn over the affairs of the world. He doesn't take Prozac. 
takes sleeping aids. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's always on the job. I mean, you know, there is no nighttime in heaven. You won't need sleep. There is no thousand watt lumen light bulbs in heaven. There are no fluorescent light bulbs. There are no LEDs. Jesus is the light of that city. He is the light of the world. One writer said it this way. Joy is not an emotion. It is a choice. What are you choosing today? Say, Pastor, you don't know my situation. I don't have to know. I know that joy is a choice. I know that joy is a choice. Everybody in here can get on the pity wagon. Gloom and despair and agony on me. And we can take on the Charlie Brown syndrome. Why is everybody picking on me? Or we can say, hey, the same God that was with Paul in prison, the same God that raised Lazarus from the dead, the same God who calmed the storm in Luke chapter 4, the same God is the God that's with me right now. He's with me and I can choose joy. See, biblical joy is this right here. It's choosing to respond to external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction. How many of you know life will throw you a curveball? You live long enough, you'll see things that you'd never thought you would see. And you'll experience things you thought you would never experience. But my contentment and my confidence is not in the external. It's in the eternal confidence is in God. What is joy? I'm going to tell you, it's not a concept. It's not a precept. It's not a construct. It's not something you devise. It's not something you figure out. It's not something you build. Joy is a person. If you read the Bible and the only thing that you get is just principles for life, the only thing that you get is precepts to meditate on and it never leads you to a person, you've lost your way. The whole Bible is a story that points to Jesus. Jesus is our peace. He is our hope. He is our joy. What do you think about that? See, you rediscover joy when you discover or rediscover Jesus. Notice, I didn't say rediscovering church. Our church might lead you to rediscover Jesus. I'm talking about Jesus, the person of Christ, the Messiah. The one that for thousands of years, 4,000 years from the time of Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, when that prophetic utterance took place where God says, I am going to crush your head and you will bruise his heel was, was, was a picture of the crucifixion of Christ where Christ was crucified. The enemy bruised his heel, but through the resurrection Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. That was 4,000 years Prior to that, a hundred generations, and God fulfilled that promise in Bethlehem, and 33 and a half years later at Mount Calvary, ultimately. 
that promise was fulfilled. I want you to look at this last verse. Go ahead and stand while I read it. Look what happened to these shepherds. It says, so they hurried on and found Mary. No, it wasn't enough to find Mary. And they found Joseph. That wasn't enough. And the baby who was lying in a manger. If you come to church and you find a pastor, you find a small group leader, you find a worship leader, you find a good song, and you don't find the baby Jesus, who is now Lord, King, and Savior of the world, you've missed the whole reason for our existence. They found Mary. Mary was blessed. Mary was favored. God was with Mary. Did you know Mary's name means exalted one? But don't exalt her way beyond where she should be exalted. Because the angel told Mary, he said, Mary, you are favored. God is with you and you're blessed. Did you know those same three things are true of you? Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, I will never leave you or forsake you. The angel said to Mary, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you too. Yes. The angel said, you're blessed, Mary. Well, Ephesians says we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heaven and the realm. You're blessed too. You're favored, Mary. Well, Ephesians 1 says you're favored also. How many of you know we get the blessing, the favor, and the nearness of God just like Mary did? That's who, that's who God is to us. He's favored us. He's blessed us. He's with us. Let's find the baby. Recognize the whole of Scripture points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Can we bow our heads? Lord, we just thank you today. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you for the power of your gospel. The good news that will be great joy for all people. God, there are believers in here that need to rediscover Jesus. They lost it somewhere in the hustle and bustle of life, the circumstances, the external situations of their life. They, they lost it. They need to rediscover it. They need to find him. May that become a reality today, Lord. As they rediscover him. And there are people under the sound of my voice, you need to discover Jesus. Jesus came, lived 33 and a half years, crucified, taking our place on the cross, becoming us there, was buried and resurrected that we might experience eternal life. How do I get that eternal life? I repent of my sin. I recognize that my sin separated me from an eternal place called heaven. My sin will create eternal separation from God if I don't repent 
and turn toward him. Jesus is my salvation. If you're in this place, you need to discover the joy, as what David said, the joy of sins forgiven. Psalm 32. You say, Pastor, I need to discover Jesus. I just want you to raise your hand where you're at. You say, Pastor, I want to become a Christian today. I want to become a follower of Christ. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. How many more you say that's me today? God is speaking to people. I believe there are others. If you raised your hand, can I, can I ask you to do one more thing? Can you take a bold step and just move out of your seat? Just walk right up front. I want to pray with you in this closing prayer. Can you just come? If you raise your hand, don't. Just, just come on up. Just come to the front. I believe God wants to speak to you. He wants to minister to you. How many more you say that's me to do? Come on, give them a hand as they come. Anyone else that wants to come, you just want to make sure. Turning from my way. Now, this way is saying, I'm turning. Jesus said, if you deny me before my Father, I'll deny you before Him. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. So coming to faith is a public declaration. Yes. It's not a private one. I know we, we like to think of our faith as being private. That's been pushed on us by a secular generation. But faith is public. Faith is real public. I mean, you know, every time I walk out into Walmart, Harris Teeter, Wherever I shop, wherever I go, my faith is public. So we need to be people of faith. Not just on Sundays. People of faith. That's the day we're living in. We need to be people of faith. We're going to say a prayer. You guys come right here in the middle. I just want to pray over you. We're going to say a prayer, and I want you guys to repeat after me. Pray this prayer. Everybody's gonna pray. Here at Bridge Church, nobody prays alone. Lord, I just thank you for this team right now, Lord. This couple, I just pray blessings over them. And I want everybody to repeat this prayer. Dear God, I'm a sinner. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to take my place on the cross. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. I repent and turn from my way and turn toward you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, I just bless them today. Bless them today. God, whatever they're walking through, you are the God of all comfort. Holy Spirit, come on them in a unique way. story behind the tears. God, you're concerned about everyone's story. God, you love this couple. You love these people with an everlasting love. Holy Spirit, come.